Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that while I was still sinning, you died for me. Lord, we thank you for your suffering on the cross. Thank you for your great grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Lord, we ask for your help that as the word is read, as preached, Lord, that you would silence the mouth of the enemy, that there would be no uh, demonic forces speaking in this room, Lord, but only your word would be spoke. I ask that you remove me from the situation, Lord, that I would not be a hindrance to what you want to accomplish. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way. Amen. This sermon is titled, Justification by Grace Through Faith, Condemnation and How to Escape It. So imagine I offered you one of three things, like a game show, three doors. Behind door one is the keys to a brand new, safe, secure, well-placed home worth two and a half million dollars. Pretty nice. Door two, a bottle of water. Door three is a syringe with a clear fluid in it. Don't know what it is. Which would you pick? Yeah, door one, the house. Now, what if when I offered this to you, you were in the desert and you didn't know when you were going to have another drink of water, dying of thirst, 120 degrees. The house doesn't mean very much to you, and the syringe, you still don't know what's in it, so obviously would pick the glass of water. Now imagine that I said, I tested your DNA and I found some rare disease and that what's in that syringe will cure that disease. You're going to pick the syringe. The water doesn't mean very much to you and the house doesn't matter if you're going to die. So do you see as we realize more about our circumstances that what we value gains different importance. At first you valued the house, then you valued the water, and then you valued the cure. Good news, I didn't collect your DNA. So need is used as a relative term nowadays. Kids, if you've taken them to a store, you've heard them say, I need that toy. Or an adult, you know, I need this job, I need this car, I need something. People on life support with ventilation, they need the ventilation in order to keep them alive. But what do we actually need more than anything? More than the breath in our lungs, more than a glass of water, more than a house, what do we need? Our greatest need, without a doubt, and this is in your notes at the top of it, is justification. Justification is right standing before God. Justification is being declared righteous in God's sight. Justification is a legal declaration in God's courtroom of not guilty. I'll read that again. Justification is right standing before God. Justification is being declared righteous in God's sight. Justification is a legal declaration in God's courtroom of not guilty. Our greatest need, without a doubt, is justification. Why? First point. We will all die, and God is the judge who will judge each of us. 
We will all die, and God is the judge who will judge each of us. And this seems like bad news, primarily because it is. The word gospel means good news, but the good news is only good because there was bad news that preceded it, that came before it. Good news is just news. It's just something different if it does not cure, remedy, or fix bad news. A diagnosis of cancer-free is really good news if you had a prognosis of one month to live. A jury verdict of not guilty is really, really good news if you were previously facing death row. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is coming, period. We're all going to die, and it does not matter how much money we have. The arresting officer, so to speak, of death is going to take us by force, whether we want to or not, into God's courtroom. We are going to stand before God. Does not matter how much money you have, Bill Gates is going to die and stand before God in judgment. It does not matter how much prestige you have, Queen Elizabeth is going to die and stand before God in judgment. It does not matter how big a house you have, what your bank account says, how many placards you have on your wall. It does not matter what car you drove, what your grade report says. It does not matter what position at work you have, whether you're the business owner or the person flipping burgers. It does not matter if you lived your best life possible on earth. And I would even add, it does not matter if you came and sat in church. It does not matter if you gave 97% of your money to orphanages, if you stand before God in judgment and he declares you guilty. None of us are promised tomorrow. We're all going to die. I was an EMT for five years, and I've seen people, babies, ripped from their parents' grasp by death. I've seen people with white hair surrounded by their family. Everybody. No one is excluded from it. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We need, next point, we need justification more than anything else because death is coming. We need justification more than anything else because judgment is coming. So my goal for the rest of the message is to get us to pause, step back, and take a look, to really look at what salvation is. And when we as Christians stop and look at what salvation is, what God has saved us from, I believe that our love, our gratitude, our thankfulness and zeal for him will increase. And for those of us who are not yet Christian, who are not yet trusting in Jesus alone for salvation— There's no more important message that you could hear than this. Next point. God is just. He is the epitome and author of justice. God is just. He is the epitome and author of justice. Psalm 7, 11 through 14. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. 
He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. So this is God we're talking about, the God who created everything, the, the ground that we're standing on, the earth, the sky, everything, the stars that we can't even see the end of. We can't see the end of the known universe. And that God, verse 11, feels indignation every day at who? The unrepentant sinner, if a man does not repent, as verse 12 says. Psalm 9, 7 through 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world, judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Next point. God is not a wicked judge. He is a good, upright, just judge. God is not a wicked judge. He is a good, upright, just judge. Imagine with me a scenario that someone in the middle of the night breaks into a house and they find someone in there and they take advantage of them. They beat them and murder them. The cops are called. They come arrest the person, take them to jail. They stand before the judge. And the murdering rapist says to the judge, he says, judge, I know that you're a good judge. And this is the only crime I've ever committed. I've built orphanages, I've given money to the poor, I sat in church every weekend, Mother Teresa was my aunt, and all in all, I'm a good person. And as such, I expect that you will forgive me, commute my death sentence, and let me go free. And as a matter of fact, I think that you're such a good judge that you're going to give me a mansion and want to hang out with me for the rest of eternity. Now, if that happened, if the judge forgave that person... How horribly wicked and unimaginably vile would that be? We would be calling our state representatives. We'd be marching on D.C. We would say this cannot happen. The judge would be just as wicked, just as evil, and just as guilty as the murdering rapist was. The judge would be just as guilty as the murdering rapist was for letting him go free. And this is exactly what people many people tend to think, uh, tend to expect will happen to them once they die and stand before God, but it's not true. Psalm 10, 12 through 15. Arise, O Lord, O God, wake up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart that you will not call into account? But you do see, for you take note of mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you he help, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless, Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his, account, his wickedness to account till you find none. It does not sound very thrilling to have God break your bones. Deuteronomy ten seventeen through 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice He executes justice. He's not like the wicked judge in our story. Next point. Because God is just, he will punish us for our sin. Because God is just, he will punish us for our sin. Now, most people, 
would think that because we're relatively good people, surely God will allow us admittance into heaven once we die. He'll forgive us of our few sins. We tend to think our sins aren't so bad because after all, we haven't been the worst people in the world. For example, I was uh, prompted by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with the owner of a food truck a couple weeks ago. And he had a rush, the band from, you know, the 80s uh, tattoo on his shoulder. And so I said, I can use that as kind of an end to share the gospel with him. Just start talking about music and see where it goes. So I asked him, what do you think about God? And he goes on his tirade and says, you know, I don't really know, but if there is a God, then I'll make it to heaven. And I said, why do you think? He said, well, I'm a good person. You know, I've sinned, but so is everyone else. And after all, I'm not as bad as Hitler or a rapist or whatever other sin you think is so awful that God shouldn't forgive. And he said, and if God can't forgive me, he isn't worthy of worship and I don't want to be forgiven by him. What it comes down to is this. Compared to most other people, you and I tend to think that we aren't as bad, that God might grade on the curve. But in reality, it does not matter how bad you think you are. It does not matter how bad I think you are. In fact, I would posit that I'm worse than the rest of you. So don't hear this as some sort of pious dude standing up here preaching hellfire and brimstone and, you know, trying to be all pious. I'm, I'm worse than you are. It does not matter how bad you think you are. It matters how bad God thinks you are. He is the judge. You're not, and I'm not. Romans 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge others, but practice the sorry, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who commits Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart has, com- has committed al- adultery already with her in his heart. So we see here, the Old Testament law said, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill someone. Jesus amplifies that by, I don't know, a million times and says, if you look at someone with lust, you're an adulterer. If you call someone a fool, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. He looks at our intentions and he judges our motives. If someone kills a single person, what does that make them? A murderer. If someone rapes a single person, what does that make them? 
a rapist. Let's turn this inward. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen or coveted? Have you ever hated anyone? Looked at someone with lust? Taken God's name in vain? You and I, having committed each one of these things, are lying, thieving, blasphemous, murderous, adulterers at heart. Again, you and I, lying, thieving, blasphemous, murderous, adulterers at heart. This next verse is talking about everyone. No one escapes from this description. Romans 1, 28 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They, you, me, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Romans 3, 10 through 18. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." So hear me in this. You and I, the very first time that we broke God's law, we violated his law, we offended his holy nature, declared ourselves independent from his sovereign rule, and became rebels against him. So now what? We've concluded that God is a good, upright, just judge. And why is that bad news? Because you and I are both rebels. Rebels, liars, thieves, murderers, adulterers, blasphemers, fornicators, and the list goes on. So what awaits us? What awaits you? Next point. What have we earned? Wrath, fury, tribulation, distress, condemnation, judgment, tumult, God's anger and wrath being poured out on us like fiery coals, and ultimately, hell. I shared last night that when I was writing this next passage, or this, these next scriptures out, I started uh, crying at my desk in the printer office because my, I have family who does not know Jesus. This is what awaits them. I, I would, 
I'm not a betting man, but I would bet money there's people sitting here in this room right now that are hearing me that this is what awaits them. This is what awaits some of you sitting in here right now. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty-one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their ways upon their heads, declares Yahweh God. Romans 1, 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 2, 8 through 9, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress. Tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. John three eighteen. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. John three thirty six. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. Matthew twelve thirty six. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Romans two sixteen. On that day, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Ezekiel seven seven through eight. Your doom has come upon you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come, the day is near, a day of tumult and not of joyful shouting. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. Revelation twenty eleven through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place to be found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 15, one more time. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what awaits us? Wrath, fury, tribulation, distress, condemnation, judgment, tumult. God's anger and wrath being poured out on us like fiery coals, judgment, and ultimately hell, the lake of fire. Next point. God by no means owes us forgiveness. He only owes us condemnation. Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. This is the greatest problem imaginable. How can we, you and I, vile, wretched, miserable sinners that we are, ever possibly hope to be forgiven? How can we ever hope to be justified when we're caught red-handed, outright guilty? We have earned condemnation. We have earned judgment. We have earned these things like a paycheck. We sin, God gives us our dues. God's law, God's justice, God's holiness, and the fact that he is a righteous judge demand that we be punished. This is where 
The beauty of the gospel, the good news, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shines most brightly against the dark, bleak, hopeless, awful backdrop of our sinfulness. The good news shines. The good news is only good news against the desperately bad backdrop that God is just and that we are unjust. I'll say that again. The good news is only good, supremely good, against the backdrop of the desperately bad news that God is holy, righteous, and good, and that you and I are unholy, unrighteous, and evil. But God, it's my favorite phrase in the whole Bible, but God, this is how we were, but God, despite my sin, despite my rebellion, God has great patience and love towards me, towards you, towards us. Not because we were lovable, not because we were inherently worth something. We have proven by the sea of scriptures that we were worth nothing, we were enemies. We, just, we weren't just indifferent to God, we were enemies of God. We were not lovable, we were enemies and rebels. And this is why it's called the good news, Even though I was an enemy, even though you were an enemy, even though some of you sitting here right now are enemies of God, he lovingly, graciously, and mercifully made a way for us to be saved. Next point, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that despite my exceeding sinfulness, God is willing to and made a way to forgive me. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that despite my exceeding sinfulness, God is willing to and made a way to forgive me. Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Will we be saved by him from the wrath of God that we've been talking about? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. 2 Timothy 2, 3-6, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Colossians 1, 12-13, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Titus 3, 3 through 6. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Despite our sin, despite all of our ugliness, our pride, our selfishness, our hatred, our wickedness, our sin, despite all of these things according to nothing that you could offer him, 
according to none of our supposed good works, nothing, nothing whatsoever is the basis for his forgiveness of our sin except for, aside from the great grace that he has displayed in offering Jesus Christ to die on the cross in my place, taking my sin upon him, taking the full wrath of God that you deserved upon himself, the full weight of wrath that God had stored up for thousands of years of mankind's sin was poured out on Jesus. By him dying the death that you deserved, that I deserved, being buried and rising again three days later, vindicating that God had accepted his payment on my behalf, you and me and every other human being has the opportunity to be forgiven, to be justified, and to be made right in God's sight. Will someone say amen? Because that is so good. Next point, Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf is the only basis for justification. Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf is the only basis for justification. 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Isaiah 53, 5. But he, Christ, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. 1 John 2, 2. He, Christ, is the, appro- or is the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation just means a payment. A payment for our sins. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Colossians 2, 14. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Ephesians 1, 1, 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, just because 2,000 years ago Jesus came and was beat up by the Jews and tortured and killed by the Romans does not inherently make you right with God. It does not make you justified. Here's what has to happen for you to be justified for you to be made right with God. Next point, you must repent and put your faith, your trust in Christ alone for salvation. You must repent, put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Repent means this, to turn from your sin, agree with God about sin, that it is sinful and wicked and evil, and turn from it. And when I say put your trust in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and trust him alone for your salvation, I mean this, that you cannot, you cannot earn forgiveness. It is completely out of reach. This is what separates every religion in the world from Christianity, every other, every single religion. They say the same thing, essentially. Do good things, Try really hard, work hard for your salvation, 
and God will probably forgive you. Or you'll attain nirvana, or you won't be reincarnated as a mouse. Christianity is the only religion, the only religion that says you cannot earn right standing before God. You cannot earn right standing, right relationship, or forgiveness from God. You must trust in the grace, mercy, forgiveness, sacrifice, and righteousness of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. What separates Christianity from all other religions is this one word, grace. This whole message has been leading up to this. I paint the bleak picture, Scripture paints the bleak picture of you and I to show off this one thing, grace, that despite your exceeding sinfulness, God loves you and paid for you. Grace is God giving you something that you do not deserve. You do not deserve forgiveness, but he offers it to you anyways on one basis of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Faith is synonymous with trust. By trusting in Jesus' sacrifice, you are putting your faith in him, not blind faith. The Bible knows nothing of the phrase blind faith. I think that that phrase personally is from Satan. He is the one, Satan is the one, that attempts to make us forget the innumerable times God has been faithful to us. God doesn't lie, and yet Satan is the one that tries to make us think, well, did God really say? God does not lie, and that's the beauty of this. Because we put our faith in things all the time. We put our faith in cars that they'll turn on, in our spouse that they won't leave, in a chair that it'll hold us up when we go to sit down. We put our faith, we exercise faith in these things, and cars break down, spouses leave, chairs can break when you go to sit down in them. Even your own body will fail, but here's the difference, God will not fail. If he says that if you put your trust in him, the only entirely trustworthy person, you will be saved you will be justified. Here's the promise to put your faith in. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Romans 3, 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation, a payment to be received by faith. These verses have the good news packed so succinctly in them. Justified by grace as a gift received through faith, not received through works, not received through church attendance, communion, baptism, good works, any of these things. We are saved by grace, through faith, works follow afterwards. They are not a prerequisite. Acts twenty six twenty. Repent and turn to God. Matthew four seventeen. Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke twenty four forty seven. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Titus 3, 3 through 6. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Trust his mercy today. Repent and put your faith in him today. The ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass out a card. If you want to receive Jesus today, you, we're not doing an altar call. You don't have to come up in sackcloth and ashes. You just, even where you are, receive his mercy and grace. And if you check the box on the back that says, I'm interested in knowing more about being a follower of Jesus, I'll personally contact you. I'll even pay for your coffee. We can go out to coffee and we can talk more about this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that while I was still sinning, you died for me. Lord, thank you so much. We can never say thank you enough. Amen.